0: I spent most of my adult life in uh, an angry mode after my upbringing. I I wanted someone to blame for me being effed up. And the more I drank, the more I was angry the more pain that, in between the the drunks, the more pain that would kind of come to the surface and manifest itself. And I just got angrier and angrier until finally I, I figured out who I could blame. I could blame God. Because, and this is after I became a Christian, years later, this is about... This started around 1993 and I'll tell you what happened. Mike came to live with me when he was 21. And uh, he lived with me for six months. He showed up at my place. I I sent him an overnight plane ticket from Boston to my place because he was broke. He had $3 to his name. And it was a great time for us because I could see that what he really needed was a tough love dad who would help teach him how to be a man, how to become a man who could basically take care of himself. So I I was very active in the Chamber of Commerce. In fact, I was on the board of directors and the executive board of directors. So I had friendships with people of influence, people, shakers and movers, people that were successful in corporate America and, and the business world. I knew this guy that had his own commercial glass company. They put not glass in homes, but buildings. I, I asked him if he'd give my son a job. He said, I will. So I had that job lined up for Mike. It was a really good-paying job, too. And uh, then I had a friend who owned a subway. And I was in there, and she was complaining about her night manager stealing from her. So I said, well, my son's coming to live with me. Would you hire him? Absolutely. So that, he had two jobs without even being interviewed. You know, they he probably had to go there and pretend like it was an interview, but it wasn't. The poor kid. I mean, he worked two jobs, six days a week. He come home, eat, go to bed, get up, go to work, get up, come home, eat, go to bed, get up, and it, it went on and on. And one day he said, "Pops, this is this is this is crazy." And I said, "Welcome to the real world." <laughs> you know, and it was, he's, I had him give his money to me. I let him have 20 bucks a week, and all the other money, all his paychecks, had to come to me. So, and that system worked pretty darn well because I saved up a lot of money for him. So he, he, uh, Saved up this money and after six months, he came to me and he said, look, my musical band's getting back together. I wanna move back to Minneapolis. So we went and took his money and bought him a used car, got insurance paid up for, I think, 90 days. Had new rubber put on it, new tires. He got a sound system he put in it. And I think he left with about $1,500. When he got back, I got a letter from him thanking me for all I'd done to help him. And all I did was be a tough love pop the way pops are supposed to be. He had all the great maternal love from Faye, I knew that. And he had Wilt, but he didn't... Now, no offense, I don't wanna make any waves, but he just didn't, let's just say this. He didn't look at Wilt as his dad, he looked at me as his dad. He never looked at Wilt as his dad. That was the difference between Molly and and Mike. So around this time, I had stopped drinking for 15 years, and I mean total abstinence. And Molly came to visit me on her uh, 18th birthday. I think, no, not her 18th birthday, but around, I think she was around 15, yeah, 15 and uh, we went over to the east coast to see my brother and his family and spent some time over there so she could spend time with and get to know her grandma and uh, her uncles and her cousins and then uh, we came back and it was a pleasant time most of the time although i could still, i could see she was angry uh, couldn't get her to communicate or open up so we came back we drove back across the state and we came to a traffic light and I was just fed up with her crappy attitude so some music was on and I put the car in park and got out in the middle of the highway and started dancing and I looked in, in the windshield and she was laughing but she was trying to cover her mouth so so I couldn't see her laughing so I went, there is a God. Thank you, God, that I'm maybe starting to open her up a little bit. Well, then she went back up north, but I got so attached to her, and I've never told her this, but I got so attached to her the short time she was here that her birthday is on September 3rd, and I hadn't drank, and. 15 years, and I went out and I got drunk on her birthday, thinking about all the times that I didn't have with her, and I got arrested on a DUI, thrown into jail, had to have my girlfriend, Frannie, come and bail me out with my money, and then I was on a suspended license for six months. Had to pay about 2500 in fines and penalties. and uh, That made me angrier. So because that happened, I got more angry. So I just figured, what the hell? I started drinking again. And I went back to the same situation of situational, sporadic drinking. I'd be okay for a week or two or sometimes a month or two and then I'd go on a binge. And every time i go on a binge, I'd I'd get crazy angry and do things like, throw objects, like not just small objects, but pick up a sofa and throw it across the room. Stuff like that, I was just so angry at God. And here I was, supposedly a Christian, and angry at God, and blaming Him for everything, and so I had a retirement plan, I had equity in my home, I only owed 31000 on it, I, I owned my car, I had money in the bank and savings, I had credit cards. I had, everything was going good till I started drinking again, and I lost it all. I lost my home. I lost my car. I I lost my retirement plan. Now, in other words, I spent it, and I spent all my money until I was just broke. I had a couple hundred dollars. And so I, and I hated Newport Ritchie. I blamed everything. I've been living in this effing town for 20 years and it's the effin' town's fault, everything's everyone else's fault, everything's except my fault. Woe is me, poor me, I played the victim. So I had a friend who had a beautiful home in Clearwater, and back in the day when I was making money, she used to be my give me manicures. I had a manicure every week. So she called me one day, and she said, Hey, what's going on? And I said, I'm leaving Newport Richie. Where are you going? I said, I don't know. Got any idea? She went, I sure do. I have a beautiful home down Cincinnati Parkway in Clearwater. Uh, would you like to house set it for me? I said, how much? How much rent do you need? And she goes, No, you don't have to pay me any rent. I just need you to be there and take care of it. And I'm because I moved in with my boyfriend, but I'll still be home, you know, like once a month, maybe twice a month. I said, sure. So I moved down there with my dog Nala, and I had no vehicle, I had no, I had no car. So I had a friend uh, take me down there, Viana, and drop me off with a, just a few possessions. Everything else I let go. And so with Lynn, <clears throat> the, the homeowner came, and she went, where's your car? And I said, I don't have it. I didn't want to tell her it was repossessed. I was too ashamed. So I just said, well, I don't have it. I don't have a car. And so she said, I'll tell you what, I've got that 87 BMW there that's just sitting there. Why don't you use that? And you pay me whatever you can, whenever you can. So I started using a BMW. Started getting back on my feet. I went and called on some of my old insurance customers, sold enough insurance to get caught up and get ahead, have some money in my hand and in the bank. Uh, and then she came. Oh, and then that car blew up. I was going down 275 down to uh, St. Pete to drop a can of field, and it blew up. So I had to get triple A to, to uh, bring it home, and the mechanic said it cost three grand to, to fix it. It blew a head gas. No, it blew a timing belt. And so I, I gave it back to her, and I said, Look, I, I can't pay you any more on this car. I think I was paying her 100 bucks here, 150 bucks there. So she took the car back and gave it to her son, who wanted to rebuild it. And then uh, I was, I met a woman from Ozona who had a sister who lived in Oldsmar who had a home with a garage rental and I rented there from from, uh, April of 98 to September of 2005. Let's see, two, no, till September of 2003 but all of this time I was still drinking now I had gotten back into church so I was calming down a little bit but I was still angry and blaming God I blamed God for losing my family I blamed God for going bankrupt I blamed God for this, for that and the other find something, ask me who I blamed but it was God, it was all God Oh, how could God do this to me? Oh, God, if you were everything you say you are and you're in the Bible, how could you do this to me? Well, I guess I I didn't read the parts about judgment and karma, you know, punishment, discipline. So I got into Oldsmar in the community, and the first thing I did was um, I had a, went to one of my customers, my old customers, and sold him a large annuity, and I made a, a ten thousand dollar commission. So that kind of get got me going again. Uh, and, <clears throat> but I did know what I wanted to do. Uh, now, if you go back and listen to, one of the earlier podcast called uh, Kismet, you'll find out what happened, what, how I became a photographer and all that. But anyway, so at this time, um, I wrote a lot of poetry, and in the community there at Oldsmar, they had poetry readings once, once a month. So I went and read some of my poetry, and the director of the art center, uh, came up to me afterwards and she said, I really like your work. Have you written anything else? I said, I'm working on a stage play. And she said, really now? I said, yeah, and she said, well, we have a, an adult theater, but we don't have a director um, to direct it, and would you be interested? I said, I have absolutely zero experience at that, but yeah. So I did research, found out what directors do and all that, and uh, meanwhile, she said, when will the play be finished? I said, I can probably finish it uh, by next week uh, if you want. And it was a uh, one-act uh, comedy. It was about a, a, a Florida health and fitness center. Back, back in the day, they they would sign people up for lifetime contract make them make a big deposit large monthly payments and then they'd shut them down and take all their money so it was like an expose on them and I made it humorous by exposing them and uh, so she asked me to be the director and to produce and direct that play and I did and it came off very successful we had we ran it for one weekend like Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, and we filled the joint. Uh, I think it held about 300 people every night. So when I finished, uh, people came up and asked me if I would do another play. I said, well, actually, I got an idea. I'm working on a play. It's it's a, a play about the Civil War era. And what I really wanted to do was, there were so many bigots in that town, so many white uh, racist bigots, that I wanted to put this on and expose them for what they were without them knowing that they were being exposed as bigots. Of course, I didn't tell her that, the lady in charge, would I? She said, well, it sounds kind of serious. Um, I would have to read it before I approve it and on something that, because it was going to be a full play in three acts, but something that size I'd have to get approval from the city council or at least the city manager. I said, I don't have a problem with that. So I made three copies, a copy for her, a copy for me, and a copy for the city manager. She took it to the city manager and they wanted to edit some of it out about African American stuff. And because I was um, effed up and unable to reason with people and be a real nice human being (laughs) because I was still a closet drunk, I told her to tell him to go take that manuscript and put it where the moon don't shine. It's either going to be produced as is word for word or I'm not doing it. And I think they were hungry enough And they had such good response from the first play I put on that other people were coming up telling them we really enjoyed that. That was awesome. When are you going to have another one? So he condescended. And he said, okay. He he told her, her name was Lori, by the way, really nice lady. He said, okay, tell him he can do it reluctantly. I'll give him authorization to do it without changing anything reluctantly. (laughs) I went, okay. Well, I'll go full bore on it. And I I met a guy who scored the music, and I turned it into a musical. Because I felt like if it was a musical that people would be, it would have a tendency to at least not be so preachy about racism and bigotry. And I tried to make it, uh, and I introduced a lot of comedy into it. Um, Anyway, so that ran for, uh, I want to say, three or four nights. And we were, the first night, standing room only. Second night, we had turned people away. Third night, the same thing. It was a smashing success. And um, we even got—I got producers to help me. I had a lady who knew someone who knew someone, and I had uh, costumes made, uniforms made for the Civil War era. I had a uh, artistic set director who made the sets look like that they they were back from that era, um, 18 late 1800s. So by that time, I became very well-known in that community, Oldsmore. And so um, the Kismet happened. Listened to the podcast about Kismet. And long story short, I became a professional photographer. I apprenticed under a great photographer for two years. And I became certified through the New York Institute of Photography. So I figured I would use the same technique I used at Newport Ritchie to build my insurance business, to try and build my photography business, which was this, and it's something I I learned from a good friend in Chicago who moved to Chicago, had no friends, no contacts, and built a huge insurance business, and this is what he told me. Go to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, do business with them, and find a way to get active in there uh, and promote your business. So I went to them and said the Smart Chamber, which became the Tri-County Chamber of Commerce, regional. Big chamber. I mean they they probably had five hundred people and more coming all the time. I found out they had no professional photographer to do any of their event photography, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you trade my membership fees, I'll do all of your photography at all of your events for free. I'll give you digital images for free. If you promote me at every event, announce my name, Michael Harris, professional Tiger, really want to thank you for taking our pictures today, blah, blah, blah. And I would set up, you know, where I could do headshots and all that. I had uh, tri and business cards, and occasionally I'd take an attractive assistant to go help me. Um, and I built a gigantic business in a very short period of time, from 1998 to 2000. Um, seven, at the beginning of 2008, I was doing the same thing at three chambers of commerce, and and people were calling me for their photography work all over the Upper Tampa Bay area, and I had as much work as I wanted. So, but during this time, uh, I had cut back on my drinking. Because I wasn't as angry because things were going better for me, and I joined a Methodist church in Oldsmar, and I kind of felt like maybe I'm reconnecting with God and that sort of thing, but then in 2008, the end of it, when the Bush recession hit, I had neglected to build any personal photography business, because I did not like that type of photography. I liked corporate event photography, corporate headshots, um, that sort of thing. Uh, Corporate uh, indoor architectural photography, doing uh, photography for their print work and their digital work. And I was really good at that. So, all of a sudden, Bush's recession hit and all of these businesses had to make cutbacks. So the number one cutback was things they don't really need because the work that they did bought for me was something they didn't really need. It was like uh, extemporaneous, something that was going to help them. But they didn't need it. They could still survive without getting commercial photography. So I hit the bottom again and started drinking heavily again and my friend Gail who I met in 2002 hung in there with me and she kind of tricked me into going to AA and I got sober December the 18th 2006 and today is Uh, A few days shy of that, December the 5th, 2021, Uh, so I'll have 15 years of sobriety, God willing, on the 18th of this month. And then things started getting better with me because I started working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with a sponsor. I got a big book, started reading it working the steps, and then got spawn season and started helping other people. Okay, so more later. Have a great day.